Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram, alongside, as always, Joshua Black. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well and you're excited to hear and listen to another episode. Um, And we have a special guest this time. They're all very special, but this one is very unique to our platform. And it's the first type of guest that has done this type of work prior. We have with us today, Brian Boy. Brian Boy has been making independent films for over 15 years. He has written, directed, or produced several award-winning films across a variety of genres. In 2011, Brian began working on his feature-length documentary, Famous Last Words, spending four years seeking out compelling stories and carefully crafting them together. The film explores what happens when you say goodbye to a loved one for the last time, what was said, and how you grow from the lessons you learned throughout the grief process. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. You're my very first podcast ever, so be gentle. Oh, wow. Yeah, we will be gentle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we'll all end up crying together. It'll be a good time. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, we're, we're allowed to cry here. Um, elsewhere, I don't know, right? People don't give you that permission. But if you need to shed a tear, feel free to. Uh, we won't judge. Yeah, sure. When you, when you cry in the middle of McDonald's, people look at you funny. That's very true. Has that happened to you? <laughs> uh, I was in Applebee's one time. And actually, it was related to Bill, so that was an interesting time as well. Oh, that's interesting. We'll get into who uh, Bill is uh, to you um, as we move forward in the podcast. And so saying this is your first podcast, what other things have you done? Have you been on TV or? Uh, Just some promotional things. When the film premiered at the Kansas City Film Fest in, um, let me do my math, 2015, um, that was the world premiere of the film. I'm, I'm based here in Kansas City, and there's a really wonderful filmmaking community here and kind of that's where I cut my teeth and got my chops and and making films and kind of had largely worked in just kind of comedic shorts and you know I did a short film about how terrible Nickelback was and did all sorts of comedic hey, things. Wait, but, wait, 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 what? <laughs> I used yes, to love Nickelback yes. back Now, in the day. you guys are up north, right? You guys are probably like pro-Nickelback. No, no, maybe Josh, we I'm can, not. We can end this conversation right now if we have to, <laughs> if we're going to have to start going down the Nickelback path. But anyhow, so, so, I've, um, so I've worked mostly in like comedic shorts and some short documentaries, but I've always kind of in the back of my mind wanted to do this Last Words project. And actually while I was in the process of doing this whole thing, I found like my original notes. It was like a one sheet that I, I just randomly came across a, a folder and I was like, this is the genesis of the project that I, I took at a, at, a, at a film group meeting one night. And that's kind of how it got started. That's very uh, interesting is how that got started. But how did you get started first just doing filmmaking? Did you go to school for this? Uh, you know, I went to school when I was uh, studied broadcast and um, radio and TV. I've worked mostly in creative services or promotions in a TV broadcast setting uh, for most of my career. Um, I work in the promotions department for a CBS affiliate in Kansas City right now. Um, we've been fortunate enough to win a couple of regional Emmys, which is really fun to get all dressed up and the trophy looks really nice next to my Lego Millennium Falcon. <laughs> um, so I've, I've worked kind of in the broadcast industry, you know, for the day job, but then, you know, making films and 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 doing this independent film thing was a, a way for me to kind of stretch my creative muscles. You know, when I got tired of, of doing the same thing, you know, five days a week, I'd go out and I'd shoot a short film with some of my friends and we'd have a good time and we'd do a comedic short or a horror short or a, or a musical or something like that. And so the, the, the film scene in Kansas City has been really good and really uh, has so much of an inspiration for me to kind of finally do this project 
And then it was, gosh, it was the Kansas City Film Fest in 20, man, I guess it would have been 2011, and a buddy of mine had a documentary that screened one year. And I just, I was sitting in that audience, and I just, all of a sudden, I felt that it was finally time to do my project, that I thought that I'd gotten to a place as a filmmaker where I thought my skills could do it justice, and gotten to the place kind of emotionally where I was ready to kind of unpack those emotions that um, I kind of had around the loss of Bill and... um I felt it was finally time to start this project. So I started putting out feelers and talking to my friends. I kind of had a, a feeling that I could organically find people for the film just because I have a lot of, you know, artist friends and I knew one person would talk to another. And it really kind of fell into place for the most part. And I just started spreading the word. Like, I want to do this film about what happens when you talk to somebody for the last time. I have a story. What's your story? And let's share them and let's figure out what are the lessons that we learn through grief, through loss, as a survivor, as the person that goes on. You know, what can we learn from what we said or what can we learn from what we didn't say that we can apply in our lives moving forward? Yeah, and then that's that's incredible, and it's incredible that you know you were able to you know find the courage really to to, to work on your own independent stuff and, and to have that creativity shine through. And and you know again, briefly, really quickly, shout out to Kansas uh, Kansas City, Missouri. But yeah, you know, Brian, walk us through that. Why did you decide to make this film? Well, uh, the genesis of the film begins in the summer of. 2000, and when I was in college, I graduated right college in 1996 from like a small Midwestern school, and I was in a music fraternity in college. And even after I had graduated, my chapter got the chance to sing the national anthem at a Chicago White Sox game. And so we drove from Omaha, Nebraska, right smack dab in the middle of the U.S., up to Chicago on like this epic 36-hour road trip. And four of us alumni decided that we were going to go along, you know, take like a you know, two-day, you know, little mini road trip, go up, sing the national anthem, and drive back to Nebraska, you know, the next day because we all had jobs. Like, we were all grown-ups with, with responsibilities. So in the car that was um, that I rode up there in was one of my uh, two best friends in the world. His name was Bill Rundle. And I, I always describe Billy as, um, you know, like when you're moving and you need a truck, you know, Billy was that guy that had a truck. You know, you're like, hey, we're going. Can you show up at 10? He, and, you know, he would show up and he'd bring his truck and he'd bring a, you know, cooler full of beer. Billy was just, you know, that guy that, you know, made everybody smile, made everybody laugh. He was just that guy, you know. And I think a lot of people have that guy in their life. And Billy was that guy in my life. So we take this 36-hour road trip from Omaha, Nebraska, where we drive to Chicago overnight. We spend a little bit of time just kind of wandering around downtown Chicago because we had a few hours to go before the game. And coincidentally, my other best friend and his wife had taken a trip to Chicago for their kind of summer vacation and planned it around this gig as well. And randomly, like walking down the street, we turn a corner in Chicago, and there's Raj and Ann walking down the street at us. So, you know, we know two people in the city of Chicago and randomly come across us. So we have this great photo of the five of us fraternity brothers all like hanging out and having this great time in Chicago. So we sang the national anthem at the White Sox game. The four of us alumni hop in the car. We try to drive back to Nebraska, and we drop Bill off at his uh, Jeep in Lincoln at about 9 o'clock in the morning the next day. And I hugged him, and I said, buddy, I haven't seen you in a couple of months. We'll get together because we always had this summer 
summer, you know, end of summer bash at my mom's place. And it's like, I haven't seen you in a couple of months. I'll see you, you know, in August. We'll get together. We'll shoot the breeze. I said, I miss you. I love you. I gave Billy a hug, and he said, you know, I know. And then we kind of went our separate ways, which was, you know, just the way we were. We're huggers, and we're, you know, guys that don't mind telling each other that we care about each other and all these things. I mean, we're brothers. So I, I tell Bill I love him. He says, I know. We go our separate ways. And then four weeks later, Bill disappeared. And Bill had gone and took a, a friend of his to go pick up a set of keys from her parents. They called her boyfriend on the way home. They said, we'll meet you, you know, at this bar at Hastings right around 12. And nobody ever saw Bill or Tracy again. Just disappeared. And it was the biggest story, you know, in in Nebraska for that summer was what happened to Bill Rundle and Tracy? Like, where did they go? Did they run off together? Were they in an accident? Were they abducted? Nobody knew. They were just gone. And, you know, and then it even got more bizarre. There was an episode of Unsolved Mysteries about it. And just, they they were just gone. And we didn't get a resolve to that for two years. So it was finally two years later when the summer, uh, there was a drought in Nebraska over the summer, and they had apparently just had an auto accident and gone into this body of water that submerged the Jeep they were driving in, and they just never found him in the search. So it was two years later before we finally knew what happened to Bill, which was really kind of awkward, and and it it was good to kind of get that closure thing, but, you know, it was... That was a kind of a weird two years, just kind of wondering where Bill went. But I've always been really fortunate, knowing that the very last thing I said to him was, I love you. And that's kind of, and I've always been at least cognizant of the fact that a lot of people don't get a happy ending, if you can call it that. A lot of people don't get that happy ending. A lot of people have a lot of regrets. And 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 so that's that's kind of the genesis of the of Famous Last Words is, do you regret what you said? You know, did somebody say something hurtful? Did you say a, a hopeful message? Was it a message of love? Was it, you know, I, I'm, I call my wife on the on the phone and I say I'm going to pick up a gallon of gallon of milk and some mac and cheese on the way home. I'll be home in 30 minutes, and then the next thing you know, you get wiped out and you're gone. Like, it could be the most mundane conversation. It could be profound. It could be there's just so many different things that could be said that you never get a chance to do over. Mm. And so that was kind of what I wanted to explore with famous last words were who are these people? Yeah. Who are their loved ones? What are these conversations? And then for good or for, for bad, what do you learn as a result of, of losing that person? And how do you take the lessons that you learn and move forward through your grief and move forward as a person that, that still has to, to continue on and continue to live life? Yeah. And you know, I had the opportunity to watch the film and yeah, you did a great job showcasing all that in there um, with the different stories. Were there eight people or nine people that had lost stories? Yeah, well, um, let me think. One, two, three, four, five. There's kind of two of them in one in the Joplin stories. And then, yeah, like eight people and then a therapist who kind of ties the whole film together. So, yeah. Right, right. Eight people who kind of have shared their stories of, of you know, what happened at, at, at somebody's end-of-life event and kind of what they learned. And everything was, and each loss was different. And I think that's what I liked about it. It wasn't that they're all from, let's say they lost a husband or they lost, or they died in the same way. There's some that were unexpected and some that were expected losses and how they process their last words. 
and you know as they move forward and i thought that was such a unique take on it because you know honestly i never thought about what i said when my father passed away because it was very sudden i know there's a lot of things like i wanted to speak to him um and tell him that i, I loved him and stuff but i can't remember what the last conversation was prior to his death that it's not really in my mind but with the dream i had i had a chance to say i love him so there was something i wanted to say to him that i didn't get a chance to say prior to his death and that's what sort of you talked about. You had a chance to say that, which is, I think is remarkable because I really take that for granted. I don't, when I see people, I don't say I love them as much as probably I could because you're right. Like you don't know when someone's going to pass, right? So you go for a gallon of milk and not return, right? So it really uh, helps. I think just really helps, you know, put that into focus, I guess, a little bit on when you're ending a conversation, when you're leaving, what is that like? And what do you want it to be? like end and a lot of people say like end on a positive note if even if you're fighting end on a positive note yeah i think it's just a, an interesting kind of way of of looking at it and i think my goal for the film not only just to kind of shine a light on the lessons that these people learn but also you know maybe you have somebody who you're estranged from you know a, a mother that you don't talk to for the last 20 years maybe you have an opportunity to heal a wound maybe you have an opportunity to say i'm sorry Maybe you have an opportunity to say, I was an idiot, I was a jerk. Maybe there are people that can see this project and realize, you know, I talk a lot about the fragility of life, man. It could, in an instant, I mean, in an instant, things could change. And if you have an opportunity to heal, if you have an opportunity to go forth and make amends and you feel so encouraged in your heart and your soul to do that tomorrow, man, because who knows? You know, and, and if you if you if you're ready to to heal that bridge, to heal that wound, I think you need to take that opportunity. And you know, like I, my kids are 11 and nine, and I am just every month or so, just like grab them by the face and be like, "Listen, I know you know this. I know that you know that I know this. Like, I I love you. You mean the world to me. You drive me nuts, but you are my kids. I adore you. I will do anything in the world for you." I love you. And they're like, yes, I know, Dad. You tell me. You and know, it's like, I know that I say it a lot, but you guys know that it's important to me. And like, oh, I know. I love you, too. And then they go, you know, play video games and watch YouTube. <laughs> That's really funny. You say it so much, they get, like, irritated. <laughs> but they learn. I mean, they, I mean, my, and, you know, the film is two years, about two years old now. So my kids were nine and seven when it came out. And they get it. Like, they've seen it. And, and, you know, my kids weren't around when, when Billy died. And my daughter has said, you know, we were actually in Lincoln, like real close to the area where, where I had dropped Billy off. And I said, Riley, they're over there. Those are those apartments. And she was like, Daddy, do you think Billy would have liked me? You know? And I was like, oh, gosh, yeah. Like, he would have loved you. Like, he was, I mean, he was a brother. I mean, he would have loved you just like you were his own. And, it, and it's been really kind of interesting. My kids have picked up on things like that. They've said, you know, do you think people, do you, if, when you make your film, will it, will it screen in the movie theater? Will people see it? And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, that will help people to remember who Billy was, right? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly the point. Wow, yeah, it's so true. It's amazing how kids can pick up on that. And we're just talking um, with a previous guest about, you know, bringing children in and talking about death. And you'd have to have explained loss to them a little bit for them to understand why Billy's not around anymore. Was that a difficult process? You know what? Not necessarily with Bill, but when my kids were around when when my grandfather passed, and they were a little younger, and it took a while for it to kind of manifest. But then after a while, 
my oldest felt guilty because, you know, Grandpa was in his 90s when he was about ready to pass, and she was a little creeped out by him. And then I felt, think she felt a little guilty because she didn't take the time to hang out with him because, you know, she was you know, five or whatever, and, you know, five-year-olds and a 95-year-old don't have a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, but, you know, but... Yeah, they're aware of it. They, and, you know, they were, you know, I miss Grandpa, and I was like, well, I miss Grandpa too. You know, I was like, and then I said, you know, but you know, we, we believe in God and we believe in heaven, and I believe that we'll see him again, and we will hang out together and have a, a grand old time with Grandpa and, and Grandma and everybody else, and we'll see Billy, and and you know, our time on Earth is is a, a blink of an eye in 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 the. The grand scheme of things, we we exist. We we exist in the world and in the universe much shorter of a time that we don't exist. And there's, you know, our time will come, and and that's why we need to live our lives the way we need to live our lives, you know, and live wholeheartedly and live with integrity and live to be good people and teach others to love and say please and thank you and, and just try to be the best people we can while we while we have the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's a, a great message is to be aware of death. And, you know, that's basically the message, right? Like you may die any minute and the person you just met may die. And acknowledging that without being afraid, but acknowledging it as you move forward so you don't have sort of that regret. So when you started interviewing these people, like, was it hard to find them? Like, did you get a lot of uh, intake and you had to sort of narrow it down? Because all the stories are so different. So how did you come up with those eight people? Well, I was fortunate enough because I have this film community here in Kansas City, and my first two people that I talked with were are the last two people in the film. And so there's a photographer in my film named Scott Anderson, and we were at like a holiday party, a holiday gathering with all of us filmmakers and artists, and, and, and I had done a short film on Scott before, and, and just he's an amazing photographer. And I was talking with him, and I was like, hey, I'm starting this project called Famous Last Words, and it's about this and this and this. And he's like, oh, i got to tell you my story about my mom, and I need to tell you about my dad. And so, you know, he, he gives me the little three-minute version, and I was like, oh, we're definitely, you know, I definitely am interested in your story. And it kind of, you know, put out the Facebook blast. Hey, guys, I'm working on this project. If you know of anybody or if you have a story that you're, you're comfortable sharing, you know, just let me know. We'll get together. We'll have coffee. We'll talk about it. And kind of that's where I got. Aaron in the project and you know then it was like oh you need to talk to my friend Ron you know Ron has a really sad story and and around that time I was seeking out to try to find some sort of a therapist that kind of worked together to kind of bind you know these stories together and talk kind of about the science of grief and loss and that's where I met Kate and through Kate I met Christina and then so I was you know my my things were kind of all falling in place and while I was in the middle of shooting, uh, my friend Laura, her husband, killed himself. And so that was kind of an awkward thing because I went to college with Laura. We were friends. How long do you wait before you approach a person who just lost a spouse to say, would you like to talk about this? You know, and so I, you know, I waited a couple of months and just sent her a really polite email and said, hey, I, I love you. You know, as you know, I'm working on this project. If and when you are at ever any point ready to talk about how your husband killed himself, uh, you know I I am here to listen and I'm I'd be happy to to talk with you about this. 
And so she thought it over, and then we finally went up. We, she was up in Nebraska, so we road-tripped up to Nebraska over a day and, and shot that one, too. So they, it all kind of happened organically for most of the stories. The middle part of the film is um, two stories from Joplin, which I was in the middle of production, and, and there's a town in, in Missouri called Joplin, Missouri, and they had this F5 tornado that came in, wiped out just a, a devastating tornado through this city. had killed 111 people or something like that, just a horrible Midwestern storm. And I didn't even know. I knew, like, two people from Joplin and kind of wanted to go down there and finally, like, called the right person who knew another filmmaker who had taught, who had done a similar kind of, he did a documentary on the Joplin tornado. And he said, Oh, well, you should talk to this person. You should talk to this person. And then kind of eventually just reached out and, and, and got these Joplin stories. And we were actually down in Joplin a year to the day or a year to the weekend of the Joplin tornadoes. So, you know, this town had been going through so much and they were already rebuilding. And uh, it was a year to the tornado and, you could just tell that this this city was still hurting and still trying to heal. And then in the process of all of that, there was severe thunderstorms going on in the Midwest. And there was a possibility of tornadoes coming one year later. And it was just, the air was heavy with like concern and dread and worry that they were going to go through this again. And it was just heartbreaking and inspiring to see these people who you know, lost not just lives, but their homes and their city is there's just a gash through the middle of this city. And that was a really kind of eye opening experience as well, because I'd never seen destruction like that with my own two eyes. And and so that's kind of where the Joplin stories came through. And so and then I got Kate, who kind of talked about grief. She was my last shoot and um, just kind of started to, to put the film together. Absolutely, um, you know, and the the work speaks for itself. Truly, uh, you know, I again, you know, we both really enjoyed the film. We loved it. You know, the way you shot it, the way the interviews took place, and you know, a very unique style. And in, in, and you know, again, that tor- one of my favorite parts was the the whole tornado um, stories that were coming through that the lost stories uh, because of the tornado. And you know, it seems like you were put in those places for a reason. You were meant to do this to share some of these stories, you know, those events didn't happen to be in your movie. You were put to make, you know, you were, you were there to make this movie, to share those stories. And, you know, obviously it's tough asking your friend to be in this film, but you know, she, she probably saw that too. She probably saw there was a purpose behind this. Uh, I wanted to get back to Scott actually, because that was one of our favorite stories. Um, you know, there's a lot of good stories that we loved, but Scott was a, a key one for us. Can you kind of quickly walk us and our listeners through Scott's story? Sure. So um, Scott is a uh, now retired firefighter and a, um, a photographer. He's taken photos for the last several years and um, grew up in a very religious household. Um, his his father was a, a minister and his mom was, you know, a minister's wife and a and a school teacher. And, you know, they you were brought up in a very conservative Christian household and, and, you know, choir practice on Wednesdays and, you know, church every Sunday. And, and so, um, but, you know, Scott's in his, you know, in his fifties or early sixties at this point. And so his family, you know, you know, or he, he's 
his family, you know, just, just wasn't very emotionally available. And so his mom was kind of struggling and we and they knew that she was struggling with with her health issues and that she didn't have a whole lot of time and kind of congruently at the same time Scott um had started his journey to become sober and was in a in a 12 step program and and Scott had been asked he was on about 2 years into his journey through sobriety and he, Scott had been asked to speak at a, a meeting as a featured speaker at the same time, his mom is on a on her deathbed. I mean, she is, you know, the family is gathered. They've prayed around it, and he's ready to cancel on this meeting to to speak because he needs to be by her side. And and she flat out told him to go to the meeting. She said, "Well, let me think what his line is. Do, do you think God got you sober to stay quiet about it?" And he said, no. And she says, and and you will go tell your story. She goes, I'll be waiting for you when you come back. But you go and you go tell your story. And so Scott reluctantly leaves his mom's bedside and goes to this meeting and tells the story of how his mom is going to die and how he's going to grieve and how you don't get a drink when things like that happen. And just floored by just the emotion and and just the the heartbreak of the story and so he goes and he goes to this meeting and then he comes back to his mom's side and he said mom I'm back I'm back and kind of the family gathered around a little bit and uh the his dad came in and she kind of gathered and she said he looked at she looked them all kind of dead in the eye and she kind of looked up at the ceiling and said oh my and then she passed and um she just he you know he's he's sure that she was waiting and she was ready and she had her loved ones there and and that you know she was she was at peace with where she was and so that's kind of part one of scott's story and then part two takes place yeah before we go to years later yeah yeah go ahead yeah before we go to part two i want to say like that was sort of a moment where i'm like man i love this woman because even though like she was dying and as a dying person, you get the right of everything, right? Because you can really get the sympathy. You can get, you know, like, stay by me. You can be selfish. But the woman said, like, no, like, inspire others. You know, I'm dying, but you can use this opportunity to inspire others. So she's very selfless in that aspect. So that's really got me connected with um, Scott and his and his mother and that bond that they probably had throughout their life because I can't see her changing on her deathbed. I think this was probably who she was throughout her life, encouraging him as he moved forward. And so I, that was a part where I, I really clicked in and I was just like, I don't know, kind of really happy that she said what she said as sort of those last words in a way. It's almost the second last words because then she said those other words. But it was like mm-hmm. that moment where I think it gave him that story to always look back on for encouragement in his even even in his sobriety, to continue going after the loss. Because I think a lot of people after something traumatic happening or like a loss of a loved one can go back to addictions as a way to cope. But I believe that those words of hers actually did more for him in his journey than maybe some other last words that uh, I heard throughout the movie. Well, and I think, you know, Scott's mom's last real conversation, I think it kind of inspires me as well. You know, I was already on this journey to make this film, but do I feel that, you know, the loss of Bill 17 years ago should be in vain? No, I'm going to use the lessons that I learned 
I'm going to learn, I'm going to use this opportunity to share my story and to to have a good come from a, a tragically short life. I mean, Bill was in his mid-20s when he died. I'm not going to let that go in vain. I am responsible to honor his memory, responsible to share the lessons that I've learned through having a friend die suddenly and not finding his body for two years and and a, a message of love. I mean, this is what Bill would have wanted. You know, Bill would Bill was the first to crack a joke, but man, I know that he's proud of me. Yeah, I feel it, you know, and, and you know, when I'm driving into work and I feel him over my shoulder, I know he's there. I know he's proud of me. These are the lessons that you learn. I mean, and Scott was told that he wasn't supposed to stay quiet about what he's learned and and I'm using his mom's message to do the same thing. To to go out and share and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And even when it's awkward for people to talk about it, to talk about it some more and share and talk and share our stories. And these are the way that our friends and our family live on is through stories and storytelling and and learning and teaching those lessons. I mean it's 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 how you live forever. Mm. Yeah, I truly believe that. And that's amazing. You're right. You know, like remembering them and you know, I know Billy's proud of you because you really incorporated your loss to help others. And like how could anyone be disappointed in that? That's what I think, you know, we all want is to help others in the journey as we move forward. And and that's what you're doing with this movie. Not only to like people who are watching it, but to the people who actually made it, like you yourself, but also those people um, that are bereaved, uh, the eight people, you gave them a platform that they may not have had to inspire others and to make meaning from their loss as they move forward. So, you know, it's it's beautiful when you can, when beauty comes from suffering. And I think this is a great case of that, where you actually inspire people from the suffering you went through. Yeah, I hope so. And I think, you know, as a as a filmmaker, if I come at this just as a, a person that doesn't have this story, if I don't have my Bill story, I don't know if this is the same film. I don't know if I get people to open up to me, and, and I don't know if I get them to tell me the stories they tell me. But because we have this shared experience, we have this bond that, you know, is is shared, I think it, it gives a genu- gen- genuinity, I don't know what the word is, a, a genuine feel to it because because we're in this boat together that was one of the the greatest tools that i had at my disposal was you know i i understand what these people are going through and it's my duty as a filmmaker to tell their story honestly to tell their story truthfully you know if i'm detached if i don't have this story and i'm just doing a story about these eight people i'm a little more callous with their story you know who knows what happens but since i've gone through this experience I have a duty to these people, not only to share their stories, but to tell their stories of their lives truthfully. I mean, these aren't characters in a, in a fictional film. These are real people and real loss and real emotions. And it's my job to tell those stories as truthfully and honestly and as unflinchingly as possible so that we can you know, get to the place where we can be truthful with ourselves and be truthful with our loved ones and, and start those conversations. And maybe if you haven't come to grips with a loss, you know, what are the things that you, you realize? What are the things that you, you can learn yourself when you start to reflect on this? What did you learn now? How can you be better? What do you do differently now? And I think just telling the truth without blinking, I think really helps 
spur those lines of dialogue. Well, you know, I could tell, and it takes a special individual with, you know, the right amount of character to kind of do that. So, so which is the job that you're doing um, with the film and being a filmmaker, you know, is if we go back to like a small community or like a tribe, you know, you're the guy, you're the storyteller, you know, we need people like that to kind of help others speak up and tell their stories. Uh, so that's another amazing thing that you're doing and a part of. And we, we'd like to talk about being in those being in communities, being in tribes, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what's important. That's how we share lost stories and grief. You know, now you get the opportunity to spread this on, uh, you know, a bigger scale and, and hopefully share with other communities, other cities, other towns, other countries, and get more people talking about it at the end of the day. And I think, too, you're you're absolutely right in saying, like, who would you have been if you didn't lose Billy, right? Would you even make this film? Would you have cared? And, you know, like, even looking back at my loss, I wouldn't be in studying grief dreams um, if my father didn't, didn't pass away when he did because I was planning to be an elementary school teacher. So it's interesting what happens at certain moments in our lives and how it changes sort of the course and direction and who you meet. And, you know, I think as you sort of shown that you met a lot of different people that, you know, um, you never met prior and the impact you're having on the world is just a different impact. And, um, it, it seems to me anyways, from watching the film, it was a, it's a great impact that you're having. And one question I have for you was after you filmed the, uh, the bereave, those, those eight people, did they say anything to you? Like, what was their process? Like, like, were they nervous? Cause they seemed really professional, <laughs> you know, like they weren't like, humming and hawing they knew their stuff and they're very raw and you couldn't ask for uh, better guests or better interviews well that's that's just the miracle of editing probably <laughs> um you know our conversations would take about an hour to an hour and a half and i would take these interviews down and i just i would take all my i get it all synced up and then i would like all right what can we you know my first pass of an edit of every person's story was about 20 minutes long, 20 to 22 minutes long. And I knew with eight people, I was not going to have 22 minutes to tell eight people's stories. So it really had to get down to the nitty gritty of, uh, I, I felt there were three parts that I really had to tell in each person's story. And it was, who is this person and who is their loved one? What happened in, in this end of life event? How did this person leave their lives? And what have they learned going forward? And every one of those stories took nine to 12 minutes to tell each of those person's stories. And eight people, bam, all of a sudden your film's like an hour and a half long. It's two hours long. So, you, you know, I had to be really kind of um, careful with what I left in and what I didn't. And there was a whole section, like, it's, it's, it's great that I'm on your Grief Dreams podcast because I was exploring, like, the dreams that we have. That was one of the questions I asked. Every single person, do you have dreams? Does, do they visit you in dreams? What do you think they mean? Do you think they're real? Do you think they're just your body self-soothing? All these questions were things that I really wanted to explore in my film, but I didn't. I mean, it's hard enough to watch an hour and a half film about this, let alone two and a half hours. So, you know, there's a lot that ended up in, in you know, on the cutting room floor, as they say. So, um, You might have to so do an, I, your, another documentary on Grief Dreams then. You know what? It's it's certainly been one of the things that I've kicked around. Um, and there was, you know, there was another story in Joplin I learned. I mean, there's, I, I've got two days worth of interviews because I went and I talked with emergency room physicians and doctors 
and I spent a day talking with hospice workers just about the things that they learn with these people who are, you know, in the emergency rooms. These are people who maybe they're not going to get a chance to have their loved ones get to their side. Maybe they're going to die alone in an emergency room surrounded by doctors. What are the lessons that the doctors learn? You know, what are the lessons that people who live in who work in long-term hospice care when they see people that know that their time is coming? I mean, there's two days worth of interviews that I didn't even touch because I knew I wasn't going to have time to get to them. I could do a sequel right now if I had that, if I wanted to unearth, unpack that thing again. But I think where this film is right now is where it needs to be. Yeah, it's 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 good and it's interesting because I wouldn't have known you cut out so much, and that's just good editing. But that's interesting that you brought in grief dreams, and for me, it's really exciting. And but I'm also very shocked. You should my face in front of Sean's. I was just like, "What? Like really? Like I know Laura shared a dream, but for you to ask each person about their dreams is something I'm trying to raise awareness. That's the only reason why I'm doing the research and why we're doing the podcast. So for you to already have that in your sort of consciousness that it's something to talk about, I'm very curious on how you got there. Like, did you have your own dreams? Is that why? Yeah, I, um, you know, ever, ever since Bill disappeared, periodically I would have kind of the same type of dream. And I, I, I couldn't begin to put any sort of uh, how often it happens, but often enough to where I was conscious of the fact that I was having this same type of dream. And it was, follows kind of the same storyline every time. And it's, for the first couple of years, it was, I was back in college and I'm going into my dorm room and I'm going up the steps and I turn the corner and, and Bill's just sitting there in front of my dorm room, you know, just hanging out. And I look at him and I, Oh oh my gosh, you're, you're here. Why are you here? We thought you were dead. Why are you here? Where did, where did you go? We, we, I mean, we looked and looked and looked for you and we never thought I'd see you again. And, and Bill will say, you know, well, I just, I went away for a while. I just kind of wanted to lay low wanted to get away from everything and and now I'm back and 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 I'm back and like that would be the end of me like I would hug him and that would be the end and that was like kind of the base story for my bill dreams for oh gosh five five or six years and then it kind of morphed and many would show up in front of my house that we you know me and my wife had you know, had moved into and 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 he's on my front porch steps and he says well I'm back and then then the dreams kind of changed a little bit. I don't know if it was b- just before the film or while I was in process. And my most, I mean, my most visceral dream, and, and this is the one that still kind of gives me hope. It was kind of the same type of dream where, I, I mean, I just, I go, uh, in my dream, I go into some random, like, you know, dive bar or whatever in whatever city I live in. Because Bill was totally like the dive bar kind of guy. Like, those were our places. Like, we were not hoity-toity, you know, club bars we were we were water hole bar people and so i go into some you know dive bar and and there he is just with his feet up drinking a beer and i'm like i i can't believe i found you like how uh, you're alive and he said yeah 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 and i was laying low and then just now i'm back and and i'm trying to call all my friends on my cell phone and my cell phone doesn't have signal i can't get anybody out and i was like oh my god i can't believe i found you you're alive you're really alive and he's like yeah yeah i'm back i'm like i'm alive and I, I remember at the end of this last dream where I grabbed him and I hugged him and I just squeezed him tight and I held him and I hugged him and I was like, oh, this is really real. Like, I really found you. And he said, yeah, this is, this is really real. You, I'm back. This is real. 
And he just kept saying that over and over, is this is real, this is real. And I woke up just confused and angry because I, I legitimately sat up in my bed and thought I'd found him. Like, it was such a a visceral message. I smelled his cologne when I woke up, just so confused at 6.30 in the morning because I'd found him. And, and he'd, he'd reached out to me and told me that, he was there, like that that he knew. And just it was so real and such a a moment that truly made me feel that he was listening. I'd always kind of been in touch with it. I'd always I've always kind of been a believer in these dreams mean something. But man, that one just knocked my socks off and just I mean, I knew it. I knew it was a message. I, you know, the people that have had those dreams that are so visceral, I don't think there's any way you can talk us out of believing whether or not that that's a real thing. You know, and that's one of the things that you're exploring and that I tried to explore and just ran out of time was, is are these things real? Are they otherworldly? Are they just a matter of our subconscious trying to soothe ourselves? For me, man, that was that was Bill saying, "I love you." That was that was a special time. Wow! Just hearing that dream gave me goosebumps. It was just it's a, those those dreams, those certain dreams. They're very magical, and even saying it doesn't give it justice. If there's that feeling that goes along with it that you just can't really express, and as you say, like that's the reason why um, you believe it was an actual visitation from billy and what a beautiful thing to have to not only reassure you that you know he's okay but that you're still loved that he's there with you uh, as you move forward because you're doing these films in his honor and to actually get that dream to say wow yeah he is you know wow what a beautiful experience that you've had and i'm glad you had that and i'm glad it's you know like re ran into each other because you're doing work without even knowing it on what I desire the world to know is just these dreams exist, you know, and to ask people about them because a lot of people, they hide those experiences from the world, even though they're so meaningful that they hide it. And I think that's detrimental to the grief um, because it means so much. There's nothing more like, even like my dream, my father, you know, it was just the same thing, very visceral. And I'm like, how could I not share that anymore? Cause it's such a big part of me and my grief journey as I move forward to feel loved, right? Same thing, to sort of feel that he's right there with me as I move forward. Well, if I recall correctly, if I recall correctly, I think this dream may have been kind of spurred. If I have it straight in my head, I might have gotten like my first kind of big email from Erin telling the story about her mom like that night before and kind of scanned over it. And then I think I had that dream and then I woke up at like 6 a.m. and got up and reread that email again. I just sat at my kitchen table and cried for like 45 minutes, just knowing that it was time to that I was on to something. It, and I'm pretty sure that's the way it happened to where, I mean, I reread that email and drank my coffee and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I, and I fully own it, man. I tell everybody, man, if you need to cry, let it rip. Like, just go and, and own it and feel the emotion. And don't be ashamed of your grief. And don't be ashamed of your sadness own it and and let it be a part of your 
your grief journey and and if there's no you know who knows what closure is and and how long it takes you to move on or be comfortable with the way things are take however long you want man everybody's journey is is their journey and don't be afraid to really kind of tap into those raw emotions and and just feel it because it's how we stay connected to our, our loved ones totally true and it's amazing to see how sincere you are on this topic and how i guess uh, emotionally available you are and vulnerable to be able to cry to be able to talk about that you cried because you're a male and most males they don't cry and they don't admit to it so it's nice that you are who you are and you're you're allowing yourself to feel this stuff because it inspires other males and other people in the in the process in life to cry and it's like it's not something we we train our you know kids to be um hopefully you're you know i'm guessing you're setting a good example for your kids but overall it's just uh, you're an amazing individual and you're doing more work not just with the film but just who you are and you know just like i, I didn't really know who you are until we talked and it's just like it's so inspiring that you come um you come in and you're walking around life with this sense of vulnerability and you're saying it's okay you know you're allowed to cry you can do this um and you're encouraging at the same time so um kudos to you uh, i'm inspired by this conversation this talk and thank you so much for speaking and sharing your story sure you know i had another moment where when i was editing the film you know i have these kids and so i would have to like put them to bed and then work on the film and when I was editing and I was just kind of nearing the end of the project and I found this clip at the head at the very end of Bill giving this toast on like New Year's Y2K. And he, he talks about how, you know, we're, we're not just friends, we're family. He wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's just this beautiful moment. And the church bells at my hometown church are going off in the background. And Bill's talking about how much he loves us all. And I find this video at like 1230 at night and I'm trying to edit together. And I'm like, I have to like, hammer through this edit and and finally get it done it's like 2 30 in the morning and i'm just i've been editing and crying at the same time for like you know an hour and a half two hours and i'm just emotionally just a wreck and i crawl into bed and i kind of nudge my wife and i said baby if i found this quit with bill and i've been crying for two hours and i need you to help me and support me right now and she kind of rolled over and patted me on the shoulder like three times and then fell back asleep again and it's like okay I'll, i guess i'll just go to sleep <laughs> So I, I don't I don't I don't let her forget that that often. You remember that time I was really emotionally available <laughs> and you fell asleep? Well, okay. <laughs> well, you know, and we don't we can't end the podcast without asking you a question and the question is if you could have a dream of Bill tonight, what what would that be? What would that dream be about? Oh gosh. I think I want to see him playing with my kids. You know, being goofy Bill and water balloon fighting and and clowning the way he was i mean he was just like so funny and so talented and so just uh loved his family loved his friends and i just i want to see him i'm seeing with my family i could see that i could see like a nice maybe barbecue going on uh some nice kansas city barbecue uh what would bill be wearing uh, uh sweatshirt and a dirty gross greasy hat <laughs> we really hope you have something like that and you know what i i think you're 
I think Bill is close anyways with you. He's there, uh, you know, in a lot. Obviously, like you said, you're riding in the car, doing all these different things. And, you know, he's seeing your success, right? He's seeing this, and I'm sure he's definitely proud. You know what? There's been times where, like, my kids have said, I think I feel him standing next to me. I said, yeah, own it. That's him. Feels good. Absolutely. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm proud of, you know, I'm proud of you being a good example to your children and family as well. You know, that's that's a great way to start kids off and having them understand uh, loss, having them understand dreams, having them understand what it's what it means to remember uh, someone you've loved, you know, and, and that's an amazing thing. Thank you very much. Before we wrap up, we just uh, want to know where, where can people see your film uh, and any other contacts you'd like to share with us? Well, as a matter of fact, I've just recently finished work on FamousLastWordsFilm.com, now that you ask. Excellent. Um, so there's a brand new website, which I think I have most of the major kinks worked out because I am not a web developer, as I'm discovering, but um, <laughs> I managed to WordPress my way through FamousLastWordsFilm.com and maybe, hopefully, trying to get FamousLastWords.com. Somebody's squatting on it, and I'm currently in negotiations to acquire that domain. But FamousLastWords.com, FamousLastWordsFilm.com is the official website. Uh, Twitter, FamousLastWords. There's a, a really horrible emo rock band that I get their tweets all the time because they have the same name. But no, I own FamousLastWords <laughs> on Twitter, so you can tweet me that way. Um, and then there's a Facebook page if you want to go find that. Um, again, don't get me confused with the angsty 20-somethings. Uh, when you search famous last words on Facebook, I'm the I'm the documentary, I'm the film you can find. So Facebook and Twitter and famouslastwordsfilm.com has links to everywhere you need to go. That's amazing. So again, famouslastwordsfilm.com. Listeners, please, you got to check this out. It's a really amazing movie, re- really amazing film. You're going to like it. You're going to love it. You're going to cry a little bit. But in the end, you're, you're going to really appreciate what you get out of this. Um, so please uh, go take a look at that. Um, as for us, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Uh, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcasting platforms. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so yeah, again, with love and gratitude, Bill, uh, we extend this. Brian, sorry, Brian, <laughs> confusing you guys now. That's all right. Brian, thank you again. You know, we, we'd love uh, you coming on our podcast. Uh, so we extend that to you. And again, gratitude, gratitude to our listeners and gratitude to everyone else out there. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully you guys can really uh, feel what we're putting out because, again, it comes out of uh, our hearts. So love and gratitude from us to you. The new beginning. I have introduced myself, you have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.